This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshchai Star 5783, the Pusik that we're going to talk about is a Pusik that I've been waiting to do for a long time. I have no idea why I haven't done it up until now. I did it in 2008, I think, maybe 2009, but I haven't gone back to this Pusik since then. Parachafei Pusik Vav, it says, To the sons of the concubines that Avram Avinu had, he gave them gifts. And he sent them from upon Yitzchak, his son, while he was still alive, to the east, toward the east. Kedma, to the east, Elaretzkedem, to the land of the east itself. Okay, we got a lot here, so I'm going to try to go as quickly as possible. Number one, Rash says the word ha-pilagshem is chaser. It's missing a letter yud, since it's the, there was only one pilegesh that Avram married, right? The concubine, Kitura, is the same as the concubine, Hugger. It's the exact same person. Says Rashi, ha-pilagshem is spelled without a yud for that reason. Here's the problem. Chizkuni and the Radak, both reshonim. They both say, they say it's kind of strange. Pilagshem in this Pusik is spelled with both yuds. Pilagshem, Pei Yud Lamed, and Gimel Shin Yud Mem. There's two Yuds inside here. There's no missing Yud. What is going on here? So the Riva, who's also a Baltosa, says there are other places in Shas where this happens, where the Mesorah seems to argue with what the Gemara says, where the Mesorah is that there's a Yud, and the Gemara says there is no Yud, or something, you know, vice versa, things like that. And Rabbi Akiva Eger famously lists a total of many of them, I think it's 18 of them, on the side of the daf on Shabbos daf Nun Hayamud Beis, where he quotes all the different places where the Gemara will say certain thing, and it's not written that way in the Torah itself, in our Tanakh, which is really interesting. Now, the Sifse Chachamim suggests that Rashi means that the Psukim are Chaser, meaning we're only mentioning one of them, Hagar, who happens to be Keturah, but there are other concubines, meaning Avram Vino had other concubines, but Rashi says it's Chaser because we don't tell you who those people were. There is a Medrash Rabbah that says that Avram Vino actually had five wives. Sarah, Hagar, Keturah, and two concubines. There is an opinion in the Medrash Rabbah that says that, and maybe that's what this is referring to, but that's Sifzik Chamim's shot as to what's going on over here. The Otsar Chaim suggests it could be a mistake. Rashi was supposed to say, Chaser Tzarech Lichtov. It should have been written without a Yud, but it is written with a Yud. So maybe that's what it should have been written, even though that's not what happened. Now, Rav Schwab brings a base Yosef in Yorodei Simen Ayin Reish Hey. It's Reish Ayin Hey, but you spell it as Ayin Reish Hey. From the Rashba, and the Ran quotes in Senator Daftalam and Aleph, that whenever our Misora is not like Chazal, it's because there was an argument between the Ma'aravoi and the Medin Choy. Those who lived in the West and the East, there are little differences between them. I would tell you that, although some would say, what do you mean, this shows that the Torah is fake. I would tell you this shows how real the Torah is. If all we have, mistake-wise, but, but the way that we have mistakes from the Torah, whatever, is a vav here and a yud there, but everything else is absolutely legit, that's absolutely unbelievable that over a period of 3,300 years, we only have a mistake of a yud or a vav, if even that. I would tell you even that, that would be the most obvious to me, but either way, it's possible. And that's the idea that there might have been a machlokas between the Midin Choy and the Maravoy. There was never a mistake regarding a word. There was only a mistake possibly regarding a single letter, and that's the point over here. However, Rav Schwab says the most unbelievable answer, and then Itziv says an answer that's just like it. He says... It's not true over here. We're not only mentioning the B'nai HaPilagshem, the children of the concubines. We're mentioning the grandchildren as well. If that's so, 
then it's not really b'nei hapilagshim over here, which would have one yud and one yud. Hapilagshim, yud in the beginning of the word, yud in the end of the word. It actually should be, it actually should be b'nei hapilagshim, meaning of not multiple concubines, but the children of that pilegesh. The children is plural. When you want to say, and again, this is Hebrew diktuk, and I'm not an expert in this at all. If you wanted to say multiple children and grandchildren of a pilegesh, you wouldn't say bonim mi pilegesh. You would say b'nei hapilagshiyim. There would be two yuds at the end. The fact that the pusik only gives one, one yud means it's missing a yud. Does everybody get it? Meaning Rashi is not saying there's no yud in the pasuk. There is a yud, but there should have been two, and you're missing one, and that's the reason why it's a drush. What an unbelievable shot by Rav Schwab. Very similarly, the Nitziv says that back in the day, and we see this from Lemech and Parshas Brachus, there used to be an isha chashuva and a pilegish, a main wife of the household, and then a pilegish that was there. The children of the pilegish were called beneha pilagshim. It's not that it was multiple pilagshim that Avram had. No, Avram only had one pilagesh, ketura slash hugger and whatever it is. But the children are called b'nei ha-pilagshim. That's their name for the kids. There's bunim, children, and b'nei ha-pilagshim, the children of the concubine. So there's only one, and it mentions over here. So he says because of that, it's the same basic idea over here. There were multiple, there weren't multiple concubines. There were children of that, and that's the shot behind it. That's how the Nitzit puts it. Very similar to how that. He's not answering why the Rashi said there's no yud. He just says it all together. But it's the same basic answer. B'nei ha-pilagshim is what it should have said. Okay, regardless, that's that. The Rashbam, the Rokeach, the Ravina Bechaya say in Pshat, he had two concubines. Hugger and Keturah are not the same person. Hugger is one, Keturah is later, they're not the exact same person. The Ramban says, even though he may have treated Hugger as a wife, he didn't treat his children with her to be equal to Yitzchak Avinu. And therefore, she was considered a Pilegesh along with Hugger. So yes, Keturah may have been a full-blown Isha a full, absolute Isha of Avram Avinu. But she was treated as a Pelegesh. The children were treated as a Pelegesh. I should say it that way. And that's that. He goes on and he says the Keturah was not from any other land. She must have been a Kenanis. If she wasn't Hugger, she must have been a Kenanis. And that's why we don't mention her father, her land, or where she's from at all. It must be like that. She didn't have any Ichus. She was just a great person, perhaps another one of the Gerim that Sariminu made that he married because he knew. And even though you're not allowed to marry Kenanim, it could be that that was only for the future of Klau Yisrael, but Avrinu at the time, in order to have somebody that he was together with, it's possible that Kenanim would be good enough and that was going to be over there. More. The Ksam Sofer says, if Keturah is Hugger, then it's possible things changed after Avraminu had a bris milah. Before he had a bris milah, then Hugger, who obviously was in his, right, he married when he was in his 80s, etc., Hugger was going to be able to be a shipcha, and he could marry her. He's not Jewish. And if he's not Jewish, he could marry a shifcha. So Hagar was a shifcha. But after the bris milah, when he marries Keturah at the age of 140, if it's at 140, when he marries her, then he was already Jewish. He had a bris milah. At that point, he had to change. At that point, she had to be an Isha. So therefore, it's possible, says the Chassam Sofer, that the Yud is missing. If it's not, we know it's not. But in theory, it could be missing. 
because technically she is one person. She is one person, but she counted as two. She was originally a Shifcha, and then she became an Isha. That's how the Chassam Sofer put it. The Panam Yafu says the exact same thing. Mistoma, he freed her after Sarimenu passed away. When Sarimenu died, that's exactly when he freed her. And once he freed her and married her after that, then she was a full-blown Isha. She was an absolute Isha. That's the possibility, right? That's the idea behind it. There's a Chassam Sofer over here as well that goes into it, but we're going to skip that right over here. Let's get into another answer. Rashi says on page two, everybody, Rashi then explains that Pilakshim are different from regular wives. Regular wives receive a ksuva, while a Pilegish does not. That's understood from the Gemara and Sanhedrin, regular wives receive a ksuva. That's what you do at a wedding. You write up the ksuva and Pilagshim do not. This is, Chamin has a problem with that. The Chidot tries going through exactly what, based on what we just said. Listen to what the Gros says over here. He says, you know what's interesting? Let's say, there was only supposed to be one Pilegesh here, and that hugger is Ketura. Why do you have a Mem at the end of the Pasuk? Ulebinei Pilag Shim. If it's one Pilegesh, why not say Ulebinei HaPilegesh? Why is there a Mem at the end? Sure, you took out the Yud. The Yud is great. The Yud means that it's not plural, I guess, in some way. But what about the Mem Sophis? Mem Sophis is obviously plural. Bnei HaPilag Shum. Like, what does that mean? Why would you put a mem inside there? That's the Vilna Gon's first question. His second question is he says, everyone... Uh, oh, I skipped that question. There's another question here, and I think I left it somewhere else. Let's forget about the second question for right now. But he answers the following. He says, everyone knows that the Shechina is involved in a, in a Shidduch. If you haven't been to a Sheva Brachos where they said that an Ish has a Yud and an Isha has a hay. And that when they're together, there's the Shechina, you have yud hey together. And if you take the Shechina away, it's Aish, fire and fire, right? And they destroy each other. If you haven't been to a Sheva Brachos that said that, then you've never been to a Sheva Brachos. You might as well have never been to a Sheva Brachos before in your life. The most obvious idea, the most obvious Dvar Torah of all time. It's a Gemara in Sotu Dav Yud Zayinam and Aleph. But that's it. Ish the Isha, Yud and hey. So you have the Yud and hey of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name. Listen to this. That's why you write a ksuva. Because a ksuva is the missing letters. You have the yud hey of Hashem's name, but you're missing a vav hey. So the ksuva is kosav vav hey. Kosav vav hey. You have the yud hey and the vav hey. Now, a regular wife, therefore, will have the full name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You got the yud from ish, you got the hey from isha, you have the vav and the hey from the ksuva. But if you have a pilegesh, then you don't have the full name because you don't have a ksuva. So you have the yud and the hay, but you don't have the vav and the hay. And that's why you have the word pilagshim spelled this way without a yud to hint that a pilagesh is palagshim, half of the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because ha- she has, or they have, the yud and the hay in this relationship when you have a pilagesh, but you don't have the vav and the hay of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. And that's what's missing. That's said over by Rabbi Yudah Asad, Rameir, Parmeshalon, the base Yeshaya, but the first one to have said it is the Vilna Gon. That seems to be the first one to have brought it down. Okay, but now we get into the real liquor, the real meat and potatoes of what goes on, goes on in this Pasuk. What are these matanos? What are the gifts? that he gave over, that he was able to give over. Targum Yonason says it was Nechassan of Metalton, movable property, as well as land that they could sell, etc. The Rashbam says he gave them a ton of cash, all the land that he owned in the east. Yitzchak, you know, would never be leaving Eretz Yisrael to any land that he owned in the east, he gave over to them. Sora Moore says the same in his first shot. Rakhine Knievsky says at the end of Mesech Sofrim, he gave them a plate filled with precious stones and pearls, which is awesome. But he gave them that. They gave him tremendous things. The Chizkuni in the Bohor Ashur says he sent the way to the east to inherit the land that he inherited from his father Terach. 
Terach owned land in the east, so he sent them there to go get that land, and that's in the land of Aram. The Sfono says that Avram did this all while he was alive, and he did not rely on a will because he wanted to take care of everything, make sure his words were kept, and everything was going to be done. There would be no arguments between his many children. But either way, the idea behind these matanos is physical gifts. Physical gifts, land, money, diamonds, whatever it is, everything was given over to them, and it was actual physical gifts that he gave over. The Kliakr says he gave the rights to Olam Hazeh, while he gave Yitzchak the rights to Olam Haba, and that's the idea behind it, that he split it between them, and that's why there was Zohar to be Makabal Peishchina, there was something that was going to be there, etc. That's the idea behind it. There's even a Chokmas B'nai Kedem that's brought up in the Yalku Ruveni number 111, a wisdom of the people of the East, which is based on the Chokmah that Avram Avinu gave his kids, those were the gifts, a certain type of wisdom that would allow them to get gifts when they went to the East. Says Yalku Ruveni, that's what he gave them. There is, I, I can't tell you, it's not inside, although I didn't see Josephus in the original printing, but the Josephus that I read did not have this. In Josephus, he brings down that what he gave to the men that went to the East was all the secrets of the Kabbalah, which is like uh, acupuncture and stuff like that. One time, I don't, do, please do not quote me on this. I don't know if this is true or not. One time I went to a guy who spent seven years studying acupuncture in the East, in the Far East. We're talking in China. And there were six places where you could study it in China. One place, of course, in Israel. And like one place in India, throughout the entire world. It's like a six to seven year course of acupuncture. And he was showing me in his book how there's an entire section there that's based on the Zohar. I didn't know what the Zohar was at the time. I don't know if it actually was. That guy also died super early. I have no idea if that's legit or not. I'm not sure. I definitely know that the guy was one of the weirdest guys I've ever met. That I can definitely tell you. Could it be that acupuncture is based on a Chokmah that Avram Avinu gave to his children? Yeah, maybe. But it doesn't matter. It's a cool idea, and it's something you can tell over at a Shabbos table and get yelled at. So that's something you could definitely do. But I wouldn't go around and quoting that this is definitely true. I definitely did not see it in a safer. The closest I got to is this Yalkut Ruveni, number 111, who calls it Chokmas B'nei Kedem, the Chokmah of the people of the East. I've got nothing else more than that. But then you get another answer of Rashi, which is unbelievable, right? Which says that... Whatever he received for Sari Menu back in the day, remember when Sari Menu was taken by Paro and Paro gave him money, right? He had all this stuff. So when she was taken, either from Paro, then Avimelech, the exact same thing, all those gifts that he received along the way, he gave straight to the Bnei Apilagshim, so not to Yitzchak Avinu, so his son would not benefit from anything he received as a gift. That's the answer that Rashi gives. He didn't want his son benefiting from any of that, so therefore he gave it straight to the Bnei Pilachim, anything he got from Paro and Avimelech, and it kind of makes sense, right? Because Paro was obviously from Egypt, and the Bnei Pilachim were from Hagar, according to Rashi, so they were from Egypt. Hagar was also, she was the daughter of Paro, so it makes sense that those kids would get what their grandfather gave them. It makes sense. It makes sense to be, he gave it over back to there, and that's the idea behind it. Why wouldn't he benefit from them? Rav Wolfson says in Amunasi Techa, page 148 in Parshas Korach, that taking gifts from evil people will affect you. Taking a gift from an evil person will cause you to have certain thoughts toward that evil person. He goes on, I mean, Revolson goes on and on about how you have to be careful about any money that you take. The brisker rov in the yeshiva of brisk was always mocked, never to take a penny from someone who was Machalo Shabbos. He would not take any money from the government, which he felt was not from money, money that was gained in an ill-gotten way. He would only take money 
from from people that he knew kept Shabbos properly. And that's that. And that's how brisk still works today. I think it does. I haven't checked there, you know, whatever. But that was famous about the brisk of And there are miracle stories of how he didn't have money because obviously he was only taken from certain people and he wouldn't take from the government or anything. And obviously people ended up having to come on the day that he owed the money, etc. And things like that. Story after story after story like that. So it's possible that's why Avram Avinu got rid of it because he didn't want to be affected by the tumma of that money that he got from Avimelech or from Paro, from any of those people. The Kliyakr, right, is the one that says that it went back to Egypt. That again, that Hagar slash Keturah is from Egypt, so he gave it right back over there. There's a Maloa Omer, an Avne Shoham, an Ayelas Shachar, and an Oznayim Latorah that goes into the status of giving something to one child when you're skipping over the other child. I'm not getting into that, that's something else. And then Rashi's other Pshat. Pirshu Rabosenu, says Rashi, that he gave them a Shem Hatuma, a name of Tuma. The Girsan Sanhedrin Sadi Aleph and Aleph is Shemos Bituma Maser Lahem. Names in Tuma he gave over to them, which is a strange language. But Shemos Bituma Maser Lahem. Rechaim Paltiel, the Tur, the Moshev Zakanim, and the Panach Raza, they all wonder why this was necessary. What was Avram Avinu thinking? They say that Avram saw his kids, the Bnei Keturah, the children of Keturah, there were six of them, and maybe the grandkids, using Truffim, which is a type of idol. There are a bunch of different ways that the truffle could be described, but they're a type of idol which requires you to bow down to them while using them. When Avraminu saw that, he said, why are you guys following these truffin? And they said, we can't stop because we can tell the future from this stuff. It's awesome, and we don't want to stop it. So they told their father or grandfather, Avraminu, we can't stop, there's nothing we can do, what can we do about it? So Avram therefore taught them these, these shamos, so they could use them and find out what they need to know and they would no longer be curious. The little curious George, right, would be able to be saved by using names of God in some way, shape, or form and taking care of themselves from that point on. That's a crazy answer. I'm sorry? It's, that it's not curious George and the shameless of Hashem? It's not there yet. But H.A. Ray, I'm sure, was planning on writing it before he passed away. Right? There's no question. Curious George and the Shameless of Akadosh Baruch There's no question. That is a kid's book that I will be writing next week. So either way, regardless, that's that. However, the Balei Tosvos... Oh, I, I skipped something. I'm sorry. Um, the Das Sekenim and the... Oh, yeah, the Balei Tosvos do say. I'm sorry. The Balei Tosvos say it hadn't happened yet. Avram was worried it would happen in the future. Not that it happened already that he saw his kids. He thought the kids might do this in the future. So he gave them these shamos to prevent them from doing avodazara and tuma in the future. He knew what might happen. So he said, guys, here's this. If you need it, if you ever have that desire for avodazara or anything like that, then use these instead. And he gave them the shamos as something they could use in the future just in case. Now the dasakini and the dasakini and the chizkuni say, it's a little bit different. It wasn't shamos of tuma. It was using the shame hamafurish even betuma. They would be able to say a certain name of a Kaddish Baruch We don't know which one. Maybe it was Yud Kevavke. Maybe it's the 12-letter name. Maybe the 45-letter name. The 52, the 63, the 72. Who knows? We have no idea which letter name he gave them. But he gave them a certain name that they would use even when they're tame. Even when they were tummy, they would be able to use that name and they wouldn't be damaged. He says, even today, the Dasakanim and the Chizkuni say, this is in the 12th century, the Yishma'elim, the Arabs, are experts in certain names of Hashem. They're able to do what they want to do, Bituma. They're able to use it, Bituma. That's what he said. But then they ask, why would Avraminu have done this? Why would you give them a shame that they could use, Bituma, and be able to do this? 
So instead, he says it's the opposite. He must have given them names of shadim, that they would be mashbia, make them, you know, swear them, make an oath to them. So they would do whatever he wanted them to do. The Rokeach brings this down. The Tziyuni brings this down as well. It could be, it's like a Ruach Atuma. They had the ability to connect with demons, right? Like staying in a cemetery overnight based on Chagiga Gimel Abes. And they had that ability to, which no one else had. So again, you have a couple answers here. Either he gave them Shemos Bituma, Shemos Tuma, you know, of some type of Tuma, to be able to stop them from doing other things. Perhaps... He gave them a shame that they could say bituma, and perhaps he gave them the ability to do with demons themselves. However, the Baltosa says it seems like it really should be a shame that's mentioned bituma itself. The Moshe of Zikanim gives a fourth answer, a fourth answer over here, that he gave them a shame tuma to call out to their Avodah Zara, because what they were doing is they were attributing their idols to God and calling them by the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in some way, shape, or form, thinking that this was God. And Avram Vinu said, stop, God is only up above. What you're doing must be called something else. So he gave them names for the idols that they were following. Now, again, this sounds really strange to me. I don't understand. You mean to tell me that the Superman, who went around the entire world telling everybody about monotheism, how there is one God, there is only one God, that that guy, his own kids at the end of his life were worshiping idols, and he was like, not stop, but rather call it a different name? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It's a reshown, the Moshe Zakanim is a reshown, and I might be understanding it wrong, but this is a very strange reshown shot to me. I just don't understand it, but that's what he says. He called them poor. He called them Markalis. He called them whatever it was that those names represented, and he did that. Avram taught them to use a different name. Maybe the idea was to not to think that that was God's emissaries. Maybe that's the idea. Behind it. The Torah Tzimimah mentions the exact same thing. I really, really, really don't understand it unless I'm misunderstanding this Torah Tzimimah and the Moshe's Canaan. I don't think I am, but I might be, right? And I just don't get it. The Yalkut Ruveni says, we know that Avram Vinu had a Masechta of Avodah Zarah that had 400 Prakim. Our Avodah Zarah has five Prakim. But his Avodah Zarah, his Masechta, had 100, uh, 400 Prakim altogether. That means that he knew all the different types of Kishuf and all the different things that a person can do to fulfill their taivas by doing certain things here and there. That's the sod of the Shema Tumah that he gave to his kids. That's the real difference between the Talmidim of Bilam and the Talmidim of Avram Vinu. The Talmidim of Bilam knew this, and they used it. The Talmidim of Avram Vinu knew it, but they didn't use it. He gave them the ability to see that what they have out there is only through HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not that he literally showed them, here guys, take this, do whatever you want with it. No, Chas Shalom Avram Vinu would have never done that. The way the Yaakovini says it is, he gave it to them so that they would see that there are ways of fulfilling one's desires in this world through God and not through the ways of Tumah. So he understood, he helped them understand that. That, to me, makes a ton of sense to show them this is not the way, this is the way you do it. The Malbim says he knew that these children would be under the Ma'areches, which means they would not be like Klau Yisrael. They would be under the stars, under the Mazalos. They would have angels, guardian angels that were in charge of them. And that, therefore... He gave them the shemos that they would need to connect with those emissaries, with those shluchim. There's a machlokas, and this is an interesting machlokas. We talked about this about three years ago, about whether or not non-Jews can attribute everything to God and yet connect with their malach to get the malach to do them what to do. Is that a vodazara, or is that just another form of doing what they need to do? Can they figure out their mazel 
and do things based on their mazel. That's a big shayla. They're not attributing godly like you know anything to it. They're not davening to it. Is that okay to be able to ask them for help? The same way that, so to speak, we will go to a cemetery and ask our you know, grandfather, our great-grandfather, to be a melitz yosher for us. Is that something that a non-Jew could do with a malach or a mazel? A Jew cannot do that at all. That's absolutely us, sir, because we're not under the mazels, a mazel Yisrael, and we also don't have a guardian angel, a Kaddish Baruch who, so to speak, is with us directly. But for them, is that allowed? It's possible, the Malvim says, that that's what he gave them. The ability to connect in that way to those malachim, to those mazelos, which a Jew could never do, but they're not Yitzchak, and therefore he allowed them to do it. Yeah. You have a malach with you, but you don't have a malach that, so to speak, is your in-between. Your... No, this is more. This is a national malach, like Rahav for Mitzrayim or Dubiel for Persia, or something like that, like, so that's mentioned by the Gemara, you know, something like that. They, they have that. They have that connector that goes in between them, an intermediary between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Well, we don't. We don't. We go straight to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what I mean by that. So that's the concept. That's the Malbim says. There's what Chaim Kinyaski, we mentioned that above, the Maisa Shadim, etc. And the Tam Vidas says a crazy answer. I don't know if anybody knew this Sforno. Avraminu never gave birth to these kids. The six kids that are mentioned, Midyan, Midyan, Yishbak, Shuach, etc. They were not his kids. He raised them in his household. He taught them the ways of God, but they were not actually his kids. Therefore, he felt no responsibility if they listened to Kishof or Shadim, etc. Again, Rav Sturmbach says this, and Rav Sturmbach is a guddle, and I don't want to argue with it whatsoever. I don't understand why Avram would do something like that. You would think he would never do that to anyone, let alone his own kids that he raised in his house. I'm not sure I fully understand that answer, but that's the idea of what he said over here. Now, the Marl Diskin is the first one that I saw that asked this question. I'm sure like Diskin, the Rav, in Yushalayim in the turn of the century. He said, how is Avram allowed to do this? Kishuf is usur for B'nai Noach. Kishuf is forbidden. You can't ask a Ben Noach to be able to do Kishuf. It's in Gemara Sanhedrin, Nun Tesimabes. So how could he tell them to go do Kishuf? That can't be. So he answers that he gave them something that could not be used on its own, but could be taught to other people so that they know how to use it, even though they never should use it. And that's because lifne ever lusita mechshol, you can't give it to that, but lifne de lifne is mutter. To go two degrees out is okay. So he taught it to his kids who would never use it, but the kids would teach it to others and they would be able to use it. Even though Kipchuf is Usr Lebedei Noach, those kids of kids would be able to do it. They gifted it to somebody else and that's why he calls it Matanos. Again, that's a really weird answer. Haksada Kabbalah, which is right around the same time, doesn't answer this directly, but I think he basically gives the same problem. He had, seems to have the same problem. He says, now they would know how to differentiate between Kedusha and Tumah. Again, it wasn't for them to use, says Aksabah Kabbalah. It was for them to recognize which is which. That's Hashem. This is Tuma. So when they're in India and they see crazy things happening, levitation or snake charming or whatever it is, they would say, mm, that's not real. This is real because we know what Avram Avinu taught us. That's not real. And they know exactly what it is and call it out for what it is, a fake, something that's not real. That's how the Ksavah Kabbalah says. The Paris Yosef says it makes sense. They probably saw things that were miraculous in the East. There probably were things that they had to be convinced Right, that they weren't real. And therefore, Avraminu taught them these things. They'd realize it's nothing special. We have the same. We have everything. It's sort of like what we said before. Those answers kind of go together itself. 
The Chidah gives a different answer, and it's a good answer. The answer is, he gave these Shemos to them to only use if they were in danger. He did not give them just Stam Shemos. He gave them Shemos Betuma, that if they were in a dangerous situation, maybe that's what it means, Betuma, in a bad situation, there's no way to get out of it, and they're physically compromised, and there's nothing else they can do, then here's a shame that you can use to get you away from that situation. That's a shame that would be completely different. It's strange because, again, says the Chidah, why is he giving them Shemos that could possibly send them off the derech when he should have just been Megayer them? So there's a Zohar that he quotes, preparing Tuma, and again, it's a strange answer. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. But the Be'er Basada says the exact same answer based on Sanhedrin, Sadi Aleph, Amin Aleph. You are allowed to use Kishuk to get yourself out of something, right? Use that all the time, don't we? All right? When was the last time you didn't use magic to get out of, you know, a really bad Shava Brachos? You for sure did it at some point, right? So at that time, you can use Kishuk to be able to do it. So therefore, he taught them how to do that to get them out. Then it's Siv says another answer. And again, I'm not positive he's answering this question, but I'm using it for this question. He sent these children to the east, right? So they would be away from all the people who worship the sun in the Mesopotamian area. All the people around Mesopotamia and the people in the east where they were going to go to, he was going to send them away from Eretzisol. All those people were worshiping the sun, which is pure Avodah In the east, they were doing Kishuf. He'd rather send his kids to a land filled with Kishuf than to a land that was worshipping idols. And that sort of makes sense. Again, he couldn't keep them there because they couldn't be around Yitzchak. He had to get rid of them. But now he has a choice. Do I send them to a place of Ovdei Avodah Do I send them to a place where they do Kishuf? He, rather, he would rather send them to a place that does Kishuf instead. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, Ellie, what are you going to say? What happened to all the people who's Megayer? Yeah, that's a question, not for now, but like, yeah, I have seven answers to that question. But the simplest answer is that Og Melechabashan, who may have been Eliezer of Avram, based on the Medrash and Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, he took them with him, and they were the people of Bashan, which is why Avram Vino was afraid of them later on. So they left eventually. That's a possibility. There's another, Rechano Chanech of Alexander has a great answer. There's a Medrash Rabbah and Parshat Chayisara toward the very end. But regardless, there's a bunch of answers. But I don't think it would directly affect this. They, they believed in Avraminu, and they may have even stayed as long as they could with Klal Yisrael, and eventually they either died out, were Megayer completely, or they were the Erevrav. You have some of those answers that were around. Okay. And the last one is the Gorarie, but it basically is the same thing. It wasn't to save themselves completely, but to save themselves from magic affecting them. If somebody would try to use magic on the, the B'nai Ketura, the B'nai Ketura had Shemos that would knock out their magic. And by the way, there is such a thing. Ein od milvado is the type saying those words, Ein od milvado, apparently has a skula that it allows you to not be affected by magic. How do I know it works? I have never been affected by magic. And I say Ein od milvado all the time. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty, I'm pretty sad. But th- this is brought down that Enod Melvado has the ap- ability to do quite a few things, one of them being this. It's also the Baal Shemta brings down to say the words, Mechashefa lo sechaya, the Pusik that says a witch should not live, that there's a certain shame in that Pusik that a person can use to destroy all the tomb around them. Perhaps that's what the Gurari refers to, that you'll be able to escape from all magic and everything out there. That's a possibility. How do we know all this is from the word Matanos? Where do we darshan it from? Well, if you look at the word Matanos in the Pasuk, it's spelled Mem Tof Nun Vav. It should, Nun Saf, I'm sorry. Mem Tof Nun Saf. It should be spelled Mem Tof Nun Vav Saf. But the Vav is missing. 
The Vav is missing. Since Vav is taken out, that tells you it's missing something. It's almost like there's a Tuma there. You're missing a Kedusha, a bit of Kedusha. In fact, if you take the word Matanos without the Vav, it's spelled 800, it's Gematria of 890, which is the same Gematria as Lamdam Lahashpia Hashedim. Taught them how to swear to the demons themselves. This is Yaakov number 110, that talks about it. Rabbeinu Ephraim also says, Asher Avraham, And the two words is 781, which is the same as Shem HaTuma Moslem. He gave it over to them. Skip down to the very, very end. So where did they go? He sent them to the east. If you noticed, really weird wording at the end of the Pasuk. Kedma to the east, El Eretz Kedem, to the land of the east. What exactly is that talking about and what does he mean? There's a couple answers to this question. I'm, I'm going to ignore the, one of the big answers, but the Miyam Lues says he sent these children away so they wouldn't affect Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu was the reason for the entire world. He's an Ola Tamima, a perfect Ola that was brought as a Korban to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that will never ever be a human being that's going to be offered as a Korban to Hashem. Yitzchak deserved to be an Ola to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Obviously, we don't do human sacrifice, so Yitzchak was not sacrificed. But he's the only person who could deserve and has a possibility of being a korban. He is a perfect human being. Never left Eretz Yisrael. Was the only one of the Avos to only marry one wife. There's some really crazy things about Yitzchak Aminu. He was even Zoha to be able to have the two saying the two Avos come from him. Yaakov and Esav were both supposed to be Avos. Esav ended up going bad, so instead David Amel had to come along. But Yaakov and Esav were both from Yitzchak Avinu. He was an extremely special person with Avodah HaKodesh. He could not be affected by anyone around him. Therefore, we learn from here, that a person should do absolutely everything he can to keep Machlokis away from your children and to make sure that the right people are around your kids at all times. The Sforno said that earlier, that that's the whole point of almost everything. Everything that he did here, keep them away from Yitzchak. Keep them away from the Av, the next Av of Claudius. Or Victor Miller says we see this concept throughout Avram Vinu's life. He's told to go away from his family, his hometown, and everything he knew because that might affect him. Terach was not allowed to go with him like we spoke a couple weeks back. He had to leave. Lot left him, and that was a bracha. Yishmael was sent away, and that was directed by a Kaddish Baruch Hu along with Hagar. Both were sent away itself. Tzadikim do everything that needs to be done before they die, so that nothing needs to be done afterward. Moshe Rabbeinu separated the Ari Miklat, he gave brachos to Klau Yisrael, he gave a prophecy of Parshazazinu before he died, knowing that this is what they needed. Yoshua did the exact same thing in Parachav Gimel and Parachav Dalid in Sefer Yoshua for the exact same reason. David Melech got all the materials together to build the base of Mikdash, even though Shlomo Melech never used them, he used his own stuff. But David Melech got everything together and then gave it to Shlomo, because that's what said he can do. They prepare everything, do not wait for something to happen after death because if you wait till after death it's never going to happen properly these are the architects building the lives of their children grandchildren and a nation afterward Avram's heart ached whenever he realized that he had to send children away but he understood that this is under, this is exactly what Yitzchak Avinu needed sure Yitzchak Avinu might have influenced them Yitzchak Avinu might have even convinced them to be part of Klal Yisrael but that's not what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted he understood it he accepted it and Hashem assured him it was the right thing to do so where did he send them Targum says Ara Medimcha which does not just mean to the east because he already says Kiduma that means the east it sounds like Ara Medimcha is an actual place, an actual place. Now the Tzoramor says it's a place called Harare Kedem. These are the mountains of the east where again, people specialized in Kishuf. 
This is where Balak and Bilam went to be able to learn all the different stuff that they needed to know. And when he saw these children leaning in this direction, says the Tzoramor, he sent them away from himself and Yitzchak to a place where they, wouldn't, they would not be metame other people, where they were already into it. Maybe you've heard of the mountains of darkness. It's possible it's referring to a place in Ethiopia. That's a possibility and what it's referring to. But Avram did whatever he could to help them, sent them to the east, to a land called Medincha, which again, the Tzoramor says, Harei Kedem, and that's where it was. But I found this, and I think this is a massive Chiddush. In the book, Guardian of Jerusalem, which is a biography of Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld, on page 415, 415, Mutza Katsis was present at a meeting between Dr. Yaakov Yisrael Dehan, Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld, and many Arab leaders about future immigration to Palestine. It happened on the 19th of Adar, 1924. This is at the time where, obviously, way before the Medina, it's before World War II, this is at the time when the Haredim were trying to make a separate state of Israel with the permission of the Arab states around them. It was going to be a specific Haredi state, not Mizrahi, not Zionist, and they had, they hired Dr. Yisrael Yosef, Yaakov Yisrael Dihan, who later, unfortunately, was murdered. But, yeah, to draw your own conclusions from that one. But Dr. Yisrael Yaakov Yosef Dihan, who was the in-between, between Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim at the time, as well as the people that were outside, the Arabs that were there. Said Mutzakatsis, he asked the Rav if the holy city of Mecca was mentioned in the Torah. That's what he asked. Rav Zunnefeld told him it was. He pointed to our Pusik, this Pusik at the end of Chayesara, and he says it's referring to Medina. Medina, which is near Mecca. Look at the wording again of Targumunculus. He calls it, again, Kiduma El Ara Madincha. Said Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnefeld, that is your Mecca. That is your holy city. It is not Yerushalayim. He told Mutzikatis. Now that was a very inflammatory remark when the Arabs believed that Jerusalem is one of the three holy cities, Medina, Mecca, and Jerusalem. Medina and Mecca are near each other, right? But those three are supposed to be the trifecta in there. It was a very inflammatory remark when it happened, right? It was a slap in the face to the leaders of the Arab nations at the time. Nonetheless, this enemy of the Jews remarked that if all the Jews would be like the Rav, he would not object to their immigration to Eretz Yisrael. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Rabbi, Dr. Yosef, da- ya- I keep forgetting his name. Dr. Yaakov Yisrael Dehan was murdered just a couple years later. And obviously, then the whole thing went kaput. And we all know what happened. Then World War II broke out. So there was no money to be brought in. And the Arabs had to fight their own battles against the Nazis, Yamach Shemam. And there was whatever it was. But it's a crazy thing. In Ravaya Kaplan, the Living Torah, and Josephus, they both say that this meant they were sent to the Arabian Peninsula. That was Aramidincha. They took over the land of the Troglodytes. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I'm not positive because I'm really bad at pronouncing things. Troglodytes, an ancient people that lived along the Red Sea. I always thought that these were the progenitors of the Indian people, that the children of Avram you know, ended up becoming what we know now as the Indians, a very religious nation who are just into things that we probably wouldn't do, idols, whatever it is. Right? I always thought it was that. Perhaps it has something to do with the Chinese or the Southeast Asians, maybe. We don't have any clue. We honestly have absolutely no idea. All we know is, is that there is a Semitic people out there that are the children of Avram you know, that went to the East who were given Shamos, Hatuma or Shemos Bituma or some form of magic 
that was given to them to be able to use on their journeys, and that they still remained loyal to a god, but unfortunately got lost along the way and ended up becoming a Bodhisattva. That's who these people were. What an unbelievable little drasha, but it all comes from over here. Shkayach, everybody. Have a great Shabbat.